tutor, you're a photographer, you're a photojournalist. Really, to make sure that we get a full understanding of where your opinions in this come from, what is your history with photography? So I started photography in 2015 when I started taking it seriously by buying an RX1R camera. Um, I bought that for my 20th birthday. And from there, things kind of spiraled out of control. My main reason for buying a camera was to document my university projects. I was studying uh, advertising BA at the University of the Arts. And from there, because the camera was so small, I found that I had it with me at all times. And I ended up documenting not only the projects that I bought the camera for, but also my life in general. And I think all of the experiences I had with that, with those photographs have kind of echoed into the work I currently do. I think if I photographed anything differently at that time, I would be com- producing completely different work today. When you say the work that you do now, uh, how do you describe your current body of work? I would say the, the best kind of idea that I like to put on my work is that it's social documentary photography, which is a very, very broad uh, label and allows me to fill that label with as much as possible. I don't like to be limited to, you know, landscape, portrait, street. And I think a lot of people are moving away from those labels just because it's more freeing to take an approach of it's not a matter of what I enjoy photographing. It's just a matter of what I enjoy doing and what I enjoy seeing and what human experiences I feel are worth recording for me. And then hopefully someone else will uh, resonate with that and they'll become someone who likes my work, hopefully. Some, something that I've noticed since I started uh, street photography about four or five months ago um, as a sideline to everything else I was doing, just as something of, of a bit of escapism, is that there is a true sense of um, unwritten rules with street photography and what true street photography is. And like you say, uh, maybe sometimes people can get kind of burdened by labels rather than just expressing themselves. Uh, in your opinion, what is true street photography? That's a controversial question. I think that <laughs> I think that street photography is whatever people want it to be. The same way that a, a a valid portrait photograph can just be, you know, a wrinkle in a in a strip of fabric, and that can represent a person. I think that there are the classic street photographers who I respect who shoot with the kind of Magnum style. I think that there's a new wave approach to street photography, which contains different values uh, in terms of more anonymity and and mystery and aesthetic. And I think that they're, they're all valid ways of photographing. But to say one thing is street photography or isn't depends on who you're talking to. I think there'll be people who you understand respect certain areas of the craft and you can talk to them in terms of real or not real or valid. But I think regardless of whether something's true to a genre, it's more important that it be true to yourself. So if something goes into my portfolio and then I feel it doesn't fit for me, that's more important than deciding whether or not it fits the genre I feel I'm shooting in. So essentially, I feel like there's two sides to the unwritten rules of uh, street photography. One side being kind of the ethics of the technicalities of what you're doing, your focal length, your f-stop, and the manner in which you present your work. And then the other side uh, with the uh, conduct, especially when it comes to less advantaged subjects. And I guess my question would be to do with the um, the issues of having an online community kind of creating a set of unwritten rules from which you have to kind of work within and you have to work towards a certain standard based on a collective idea of what is ethically and technically correct. So I think that any question of gatekeeping when it's done on the individual level is acceptable, but as soon as someone else's restrictions are affecting you um, is when it starts to be a little bit more difficult and when you should start to tune that out and just respect your own 
process and make your own decisions. I think anyone who worries too much about the kinds of issues that people talk about online probably hasn't addressed those issues enough in their own work to have an informed opinion about it. The best moral stances you can hold are ones that you form based on those experiences. And if you don't have those experiences, you're always shying away from them. You're not going to form them enough to know whether or not a certain type of work works better for you or not. What do you make of the perceived rise of poverty tourism and uh, the use of uh, impoverished countries for street photography in a leisurely sense? That's an interesting question. I, I, I've had a few discussions about this since my travels to Morocco and India. I think that there's, if, if the specific reason for travel is you have some urge to document a very negative side of, of the human experience, that's probably admirable. You know, if you're going to document that and do something serious with it, that's fine. There's also a line of photographers who, a line of thinking within photographers who, because those areas are so trodden by the classics, by the great photographers who came before them, there's a, an urge to kind of revisit those spaces. And because they're, they're kind of stuck in this, in this area of, space where they haven't changed much you can still go and see some very classic scenes some very old-timey feeling uh environments simply because they haven't been gentrified enough the same way that a lot of what western photographers are used to have been you're able to access not only spaces that those photographers were in but spaces that are very accurate to the kinds of things those photographers were photographing if that makes sense yeah but i think if you're simply using it as a cheap a cheap and easy way to find free models or to find an aesthetic photograph that doesn't say anything more than just possessing the aesthetic of that space then that's probably something that you should look at yourself but i i don't think any of the um i don't think any country has objected to more tourism whatever your reason is and whether you're a whether you're a regular tourist or a photo you know, specific tourist, you're still going to be spending your money. Everyone's going to be taking photos regardless of whether or not you identify as a photographer. So anyone who's taking those moral questions on and actually thinking about it is, is probably in the, in the, uh, in a better position to be documenting those issues. I think I'm probably going to ask this question in a macro sense, but what, what's the difference in your opinion between a street photographer and a photojournalist? Uh, I have a good soundbite for that one. I think that a photojournalist, the setting is defined by the story and in street photography the story is defined by the setting so it very much depends mm. on whether you go out of your house with a with a set idea and a, you've done research and you have a specific story that you want to tell and normally when you go and, and try and do that you find out that actually the story you want to tell is different to the story you find and you make adjustments and then you you produce a body of work around that initial concept but street photography the way that that differs from photojournalism is it's a lot more about being in a space, seeing what's going on in that space, and then forming and figuring out those stories around that. In your opinion, is the value of photojournalism diminishing in an age where everyone's got a mobile phone and everyone's taking pictures with it? An interesting question. I think that the value of photojournalism is stronger than it's ever been, but the value of photojournalists is maybe seen to be lesser than it has been. I think that anyone who's you know, with family or on a night out or whatever it is, taking selfies on their iPhone is a photojournalist. They are journaling their life through photos, which is the, the most literal sense of that word. But because everyone has the access to those tools, it means that you 
can lose respect for what it is that a photojournalist is actually producing. Because I think if if you were followed around for a few days on your day-to-day life, your selfies and your snapshots are going to look very different to what that photojournalist is taking of you. It's a very different interpretation of events. It's a very... Uh, the, the, the images ought to have a more of a flow to it, more of a structure, and, and tells a, a very clear story, even though those images might actually mean less to you than those selfies. But I think that the, the role of the, of the genre is strong, but the role of the person who produces that genre probably is becoming weaker. But I don't think that as an industry, it's something to be massively concerned about. And I've heard a good food analogy is that just because anyone can make a meal in their kitchen doesn't mean you're not going to go out to a restaurant and have a chef prepare it well. And I think the photojournalist, when done well, is that gourmet chef. Something that I don't think gets discussed enough is the um, emotional toll of photojournalism on the photographer. Obviously, like you said about going out with a with a directive of what you're um, what you're kind of chasing. I think kind of once the pitch has been produced, that's kind of the end of a, the story for the for the photographer in a sense to a lot of people. But obviously, that photographer is a person. What is the emotional toll of photojournalism on the photographer? Uh, I'm very lucky that I haven't yet had any severe trauma as a result of taking photographs, even though I photograph some pretty serious issues and things that for other photojournalists they might find difficult. Um, I have some fairly odd views, I think, uh, to some social issues um, and some social taboo issues uh, like death or um, homeless issues, for example. So when I photograph those things, I'm, I'm perceiving them from a, from a different stance as someone who maybe, you know, for example, religious or, uh, you know, deeply empathetic. And I think that for those photojournalists, the work that they produce is based around those feelings or can be based around those feelings. So I don't know that there's, that, that I'm massively equipped to answer that question personally, but I do know that other photojournalists who I've worked with and who have photographed similar issues do come away with very different experiences. Um, I know that there are some good services in terms of mental health support, much better today than there were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So it's, it's very good that any photojournalist who is, you know, um, taking, putting too much of themselves into those kinds of issues or taking too much of those issues into themselves should definitely talk to someone about it. So what is your perspective then when you're doing this work? What makes you different? I don't necessarily think that there's anything that makes me specifically different to other photojournalists. And as I said, I, I haven't yet had that deep resonating experience of, um, of truly negative documentation to be working with. And it's not something that I would actively seek out, but it's never something that I would turn away from to photograph. I think that my experience as a street photographer means that I'm looking for the more emotional side of things. Um, and I tend to move away from the aesthetic side, which means that when I'm documenting something serious, I'm always going for the for the face, for their emotion, uh, which means a lot of eye contact with whoever's, you know, if, if someone's suffering or if someone's experiencing something, there's no way to escape that for me. And there's no way to escape that in the photograph. I don't think that's a different way of going about things, but I do think that there's a level that needs to be achieved in separation because the the point of the image or my role in making that image is to make sure as many people experience that moment as possible. And in order to do that, I have to not experience it myself. And I think that's easier for some people than others. 
And I don't know that it's something people should be actively seeking out. But if you do feel that you're equipped to do it, then I would encourage you to, because I don't think there are enough people working in the industry who do manage to produce that kind of story as a result of their experiences. Do you think that the people that have a different take on those kinds of scenes would produce different work based on their own um, their own empathy or their own ability to kind of deal with uh, seeing people in these kind of crises? Absolutely. And I, I, I don't even think it, um, I, I think it goes beyond even that. I think to even find yourself in that situation, to, to be in a certain country at a certain time, documenting a certain space, you have to be a certain type of person who has maybe a connection to those people, a connection to the issues. There's, there'll always be something that draws someone to a space. And if something is occurring that's worth documenting, then the, the very fact that that drew them there is going to have an influence on the way they document it. Whereas if someone doesn't want to be there, if it's just their nine to five, they're there to take some snapshots, then that will definitely show in their images as well. Uh, with the lack of or reduced freedom of movement for people in general, but especially street photographers and potentially photojournalists, um, do you think that's going to cause a, cute, a sort of a skewed perspective on uh, the pandemic's effects societally? So I think that right now the, the kind of images that are coming out are very based around a certain set of shared experiences that we're having. We're getting the experience of being indoors. We're getting the experiences of those doctors and nurses working on the front lines. And we're getting the experiences of photojournalists who are, who are looking for the people who are breaching the, the current lockdown restrictions. And altogether, that's making a, telling a story of, you know, those who are obeying, those who are fighting the good fight and those who are disobeying. And I think that as time goes on, those experiences are going to become more varied and we're going to see more changes in behavior, even in small ways, the way that people, you know, now interact with things, the way people touch things less, for example. And I think that those kinds of images are what's going to matter in terms of a, uh, a socio-historic relevancy to this time period will be those behavior changes in human nature and not something, you know, iconic and, and very visual like uh, people overcrowding a park on a sunny day. I think that the way that photojournalists have been working has so far been very much based around those restrictions. Um, I think that it's a good thing that the government, at least in this country, has allowed photojournalists and journalists in general to continue to fulfill the role of a key worker, which gives them the freedom uh, of movement to an extent to continue to cover stories. I think the main thing people are currently taken aback by is just the sheer emptiness. And out of the street photographers I know who are you know, continuing to manage to work, that emptiness is really getting to them because it's that access to everyday life that they usually rely on that's now been completely taken away, which means that the options are to document your own life and the changes that you're currently making you know, in your own home or to figure out a way to reach out and tell other stories. So what I've been able to do is access some of the charities that are still working in London, uh, including the Harry Krishnas, uh, who run a charity called Food for All, uh, which is also known as Food for Life. And they're one of the last remaining homeless distribution centers still operating in London. Um, I was able to join them for a day and see what measures they're going to to remain safe, how many volunteers they're still able to use, how they're able to still run this operation to feed up to 20,000 people a day which is a, an incredible effort to still be going on, considering that a lot of the places that would normally be donating food to them are closed. A lot of the places that would normally be providing, you know, homeless people with support are now closed. So this is kind of the one of the last lifelines 
although to the best of my knowledge, they are helping other people to set up similar things that will hopefully come back into force. I think it's just the suddenness of the lockdown that's meant that a lot of these things have been cut off. Would it be fair to say that one of the tricks to be best... um, Okay, let me try that again. Would it be fair to say that one of the best ways for you to sort of best document what you're seeing is to act like you're not part of it or to act like you are part of it? That's definitely a case-by-case question. I think for some things where it's you know, very emotional, very difficult. I mean, not even negativity, not, not even negatively. Uh, sometimes I photograph weddings and it's been, you know, really lovely and, and wholesome and positive. And it's best to just kind of shut off and document. Otherwise I'll miss it because I'm smiling, um, you know, or frowning, depending on what my opinion of relationships is that day. Whereas um, for people who truly connect and want to be a part of it, again, I think that shows in the images, but I think it can it can influence a bit too much. If you're photographing something that's particularly sensitive um, or an issue that people might have difficulty with connecting with in the first place, if you're overly connected, if you're overly familiar, you might be showing those things in terms that people just don't understand. So I think a good balance between the two is is uh, something I would encourage. But you know, if, if, if you're really feeling that a certain vibe is the way to go, with a story, then for sure go for it. But also try and take the balanced shots that are a little bit more reserved, a little bit held back. And I think when you review the images afterwards, you'll know which ones are going to impact you. But also, if you don't, it's it's perfectly valid to reach out to your peers and say, hey, which of these is allows you to connect better to the subject? And almost always, when I've reached out to people, they've had a you know a decent answer. Usually, neither of them. <laughs> <laughs> um. Something I wanted to ask you, and I'm not really sure the best way to ask it, but are you ever surprised by the misinterpretation of your work? So you're at a scene, whatever the scene may be, whether it be as a street photographer or a photojournalist, and you're capturing something, um, and that can be misconstrued by the viewer. Are you ever surprised by the way things are sort of misconstrued? I think the people reading into work is always going to happen. And I think people reading into photojournalism should be discouraged, but people reading into street photography should be encouraged. I think one of the differences between the two genres is that if it's photojournalism, it's got to tell the story no matter what, you know, which means you can rely on captions or other illustrations or other photographs to do it. Whereas with a street photograph, it's in that ambiguity, it's in that lack of a story being told that the viewer projects. Um, for the role of photojournalism and interpretation, I think I'm usually shocked but not surprised when people, you know, find some new way to look at a, at a scene um, that I photographed. But I also think that the way I present things and the way that my work is presented when published is quite different. When it's published, there's normally less room to read into what's going on because there'll be a caption. Whereas when I post the work myself, I, I get all kinds of responses from people who you know, don't understand what the image is showing or don't understand why that particular scene was noteworthy for me to photograph. Um, but I don't think it's ever been someone who crudely misses the point of why the image exists. I think at some level, whether it's aesthetic or conceptual or storytelling, as long as the image can justify its existence, when I publish it, I don't have an issue with, with, um, with the way people interpret them. No, sorry. I was just going to say, does it ever dawn on you in in the sense, the sort of historical relevance of what you're doing? Absolutely. But I don't allow my ego to to really get that far when I think about my own work. I think if, if even one of my images manages to escape my own personal bubble and reach some kind of social consciousness, then 
you know, I'll have lived, I'll have had a good career. But the thing is that currently I'm competing with every other viral photograph of a cat that's ever been made. And I don't know that, you know, the hard hitting social documentary images that I want to be producing really exist in the same space. So what I'm going for at the moment is to to be at the, at the least achieve some kind of uh, knowledge and, and hopefully respect of my peers and do what I can to guide uh, my students when I teach towards a direction where they're able to better compete with everything else that's demanding people's attention these days. Who are your influences in photojournalism at the moment? So right now, one of my biggest influences is a photographer called Abbas. His work is really incredible. Some of the, some of the, the ways he was documenting, the ways he was seeing those issues is, is phenomenal. Uh, another photographer would be a classic, uh, Don McCullen, who documented a lot of conflict and, and very difficult, um, very difficult situations. And what I respect most about his work is that when you come to that divide between, you know, the technical and the, and the ethical, none of his photographs are about photography. They're all about what's in front of him. What is that special scene? What is, what is interesting? And then just point the camera at it and take a photograph. It doesn't use, there's no visual gimmicks. There's no interesting light. The compositions aren't, you know, technically masterful. They just very well, they, they just very accurately show what was in front of him at that time. And that serves as a better illustration for journalism in a truer sense of photojournalism than something that relies more on a on a photographic language. So you work as a as a tutor. Um, do you ever find yourself teaching yourself something it just in kind of externalizing what it is that you do? I'm not sure I understand the question, sorry. Well I've so I've I've done a sort of very small amount of teaching on a much lower level. And sometimes I find that um I'm doing things subconsciously in my work that then when I'm teaching someone, I almost kind of educate myself in my way of thinking just by externalizing it. I see. I definitely think that teaching is an excellent way to frame things for myself in in ways that I might not have considered. You know, I'll be finding analogies or techniques or as I'm pointing out the way to do something, I'll realize that I'm actually doing something else. It's definitely a, a, a great method for introspection to, to look at the very photography is a very physical pursuit. You know, it's very much a movement of myself in a space and the camera is almost secondary to just seeing what's going on with my eyes. So when I find that I'm moving in a certain way or socializing in a certain way and just existing in a certain way that's definitely helpful to myself because i can you know i can just amplify or reduce things that i find are helpful or things that my students find helpful so a question that's probably a little bit along the same lines in terms of controversy that we've probably already touched on but something that's definitely a lot lighter um what's your what's your pick in terms of cameras what, your, what are your favorite cameras oh gosh well this will be a very controversial one um my current the the majority of my current work has been shot on a leica m6 and a 90 millimeter lens i think with that combination oh. i would be happy to shoot almost anything you put me in front of um, more recently i've been trying to push myself back into 35 millimeter which is my second least favorite focal length but i really respect what it offers in terms of proximity not that you need to be far away with a 90. I think most of my work with a 90 has been shot within uh, a space of maybe five to 10 meters away from me. You know, I'm not shooting things that are down the road or, you know, some next postcode over. I'm shooting things that are close. It's just a matter of what I'm choosing to crop of reality, what I'm choosing to specifically highlight in an image. 
and whether that whether that relies on being one thing at a time whether it's a, a kind of layered effect of lots of multiple competing factors what a 35 millimeter gives me is that depth of foreground midground background whereas my 90 millimeter images you know while they're nice and i like them they're very flat and what I want to achieve with using a wider lens is something less flat. So we, we live in an age of like spaceships, essentially, with lenses on the front as cameras, as technology moves forward. Why Leica? Honestly, I have really, really terrible eyesight, which means that any SLR or mirrorless camera with a screen that I've tried, you know, I have to really push it up against my glasses. I find it very, very difficult to actually focus on the screen being that close to my eye. Um, you know, with an SLR, even though you're looking through the lens, there's still a screen in the way that your that your eye is focusing on, regardless of what the lens is focused on. So it means I still find it difficult to achieve focus. With a rangefinder, because it's just that one patch and you're just moving one thing, it's only one thing I need to look at for focusing. I only need to know, you know, where's the contrast in my scene? Where are the lines? You know, essentially, what am I focusing on? And then it's just done. It's that simple for me. Uh, Whereas everything else I've struggled with, even though I'm trying to allow myself to use more SLRs in a much slower sense, if I'm going to be shooting and shooting fast, which the kind of journalism I want to do involves, it's got to be with a Leica. In terms of your career, even back to when you first started with photography, uh, what retrospective uh, advice would you give yourself? I think if I could tell myself to stop caring what people thought earlier, that would be really useful for my uh, for my style overall because it's impossible to produce your own style if all you're doing is uh, like painting by numbers based on what other people have done. I think there are a lot of ways that people are currently learning photography and street photography is they you know they Google the hashtags, they find out what other people are doing, and then they just do that because they think that's what's being done. Whereas the best thing to do is to just switch everything off, go outside not even with a camera, just look at what's going on, look at what interests you, find out visually what appeals to you, what draws your eye. And when you have a good understanding of that, when you involve the camera, it's more you than if you've gone out knowing what you want an image to look like and then make reality, you know, bend that to your will rather than adapting yourself and your own needs to what's available to you. And if someone's considering a career down the line of working as a photojournalist, what would you want them to know going into it? I think if your if your aim is to tell stories with a camera, then being a photojournalist professionally probably isn't the easiest way for you to do that. The easiest way is for you to just go and tell the photos with the camera. If you want to be working at a newspaper or making money from it, then it's a very different style of photography to what you'll probably enjoy. There are a lot of compromises that need to be made in order to tell a story on a front page on a newspaper in one photograph, whereas I think the kind of journalism that I want to be doing is, is longer form. You know, it'll, it'll work better in books and magazines than telling one image in one story. I think in terms of advice for people looking to do it as a career, probably get a second job as well for as long as for as long as it needs. For as long as you need to either decide that it's what you want to do permanently or for as long as you need to decide that you're going to be a photojournalist. You're just not going to be one that's going to be hired very often. The kind of photojournalism that I do that's paid is not the kind of stuff that I publish. It's more, you know, corporate events, uh, music gigs, weddings, things that are personal, uh, you know, me to my client. What story do they want me to tell? Uh, One of my favorite things to document is behind the scenes on production. I've done movies, advertising, television shows. That's a lot of fun. But those kinds of clients are based around who you know, not how good your work is. 
because if it was about how good your work is, you'd see a lot more good work. But what it really is, is, you know, some, the director's nephew has a camera and Uh, that's just a kind of sad truth. (laughs) I think that's a good, good bit of advice for life. Mm. Be someone's nephew. Always. Aside from photography, how are you doing at the moment with everything that's going on? How are you coping? How are you staying positive for everything? Gosh, implying that I am. Um, I think that my best defense mechanism is that I've always kind of been antisocial, even though photography has shown me that it, it's easy for me to kind of switch between being in a social space and being in a space where I can reflect on that social space. I'm still very much at home, just at home. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of writing. Uh, I write for a few different blogs. Uh, I've been writing for my own blog. I've been catching up on entries. I've been doing a lot of curation. Uh, hopefully I'll be working towards my first zine as in my first serious zine that I'll be selling. Uh, I'd plan that for the end of this year, but with everything that's going on, I think I'll push it to next year. Um, I've been going on as many walks as possible. I still take my camera with me. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with looking for kind of still life uh, details, but it's, it is very much empty streets at the moment. So something I like to do at the end of all of these is to make sure that people know where they can find your work and best places to follow you and to read the stuff that you're currently writing. Uh, the best place, the kind of hub for everything for me is Instagram. I'm at Simon King underscore V. And from there, there's links in my bio to my blog, um, to any upcoming workshops that I'll be holding. Um, and I, I post very frequently to my stories with any kind of new publications or, or new things that are going on with me. Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been incredibly insightful um, and uh, interesting. It's a world I've never had a look into. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it.